0: What a great truth. Help us never to get used to or to get over that truth. That you call us your children. And the end of the story in Revelation is all about you being with your people. And we being with you. So even now as we open your word, may your spirit enlighten our understanding and may he set our hearts aflame to believe what you have written. Show us Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I encourage you. Thank you team for leading us this morning. I encourage you to open your copies of the scriptures this morning, please, to Mark chapter 7. So the gospel of Mark, that's in the New Testament. It's the second book of the New Testament. So first is Matthew and then Mark. And we've been making our way in 2022 through the gospel of Mark. And we come now to Mark chapter 7 and the very last few verses of this chapter. And as we do so, as you're, as you're turning there. Um, Let me just say, what we see here in this miracle by Jesus is really a fulfillment of what Jesus has already said in Mark's gospel. Back in chapter 1, when Jesus begins his ministry, he announces his ministry with this. The kingdom of God is at hand. The rule and reign of God in Jesus upon earth is breaking out in a brand new way when Jesus comes and when he begins his ministry. And we see that playing out in living technicolor right here in Mark chapter 7. So you follow along in your copies of God's Word, if you would, please. Beginning in verse 31, and let's read down through verse 37. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf, had a speech impediment, and they begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, Jesus put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, "Ephatha," that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of our God, and this is the Son of God. Amen? What a king. What a savior. What a Jesus. He does all things well. How many of you have had the happy experience of ever fixing up what somebody else messed up? Maybe you've moved into a new-to-you home and you discover all the shortcuts the previous owners took during remodeling and so you spend a lot of time and a lot of money fixing up their mess-ups. Or you're at work or at school And the boss or the teacher has given a team assignment and somebody on the team isn't pulling their weight and you have to work twice as hard making up for their mess ups. Or perhaps it's more serious than that. Perhaps it's a spouse who's been unfaithful to you and you're left trying to put the broken pieces back together again with your kids with extended family members, with family friends. How much of our time is spent fixing up what other people mess up? Have you ever thought about the fact that nobody had to come after Jesus and fix up what he messed up? Nobody has ever had to clean up the mess he's made or complete a task he's left unfinished. But actually, it's even better than that because Jesus comes into the world to fix up what we've messed up with our sin. That's why he's born in Bethlehem. That's why he lives the perfect life we haven't. That's why he dies the death we deserve. And for all who place their faith and trust in him alone, he reconciles us to God he puts back together again that relationship that we've broken and that we've messed up and every miracle Jesus does every blind eye he opens every deaf ear he awakens every twisted tongue he unties is a pointer to the heart work Jesus does in redeeming us But even that, as great as it is, that's not all. Because the next time Jesus comes, he's going to reconcile all things. He isn't just going to restore broken people. He's going to restore this broken universe with a new heavens and a new earth. Amen? Okay, 12 of you think so? For God's people, there is coming a day when sickness and sorrow and suffering Are turned upside down forever. There is coming a day when eyeglasses and wheelchairs and defibrillators will be no more. There is coming a day when hurricanes and tornadoes are forever done. There is coming a day in which there are no more lawsuits or divorces or wars. There is coming a day when Jesus will eternally fix up what sin and Satan and death have messed up. There is coming a day when Jesus will completely complete the redemptive work he has begun in us. Friends, there is coming a day. And here in Mark 7, we're giving, or given a glimpse into that coming day when Jesus heals a deaf man who can't speak. It's the kind of miracle that leaves people in disbelief. They are super astounded at what Jesus does here and their response is the big idea of this entire text this morning it's this Jesus does all things well now we can read that in the text we can believe that's true for this man but do we apply that truth to our life Do you believe that statement is just as true in your life today as it was in this man's life on this day? That Jesus does all things well. That he's never messed up your life. That he's not right now messing it up. And that he never will mess it up. And so he will never have to say to you, Oops, I'm sorry, I blew that one. Never. Jesus does all things well, all the time, every time, even when his plans make no sense to us. Because as this scene opens in Mark 7 verse 31, Jesus seems to take his disciples on a major detour. They've been hanging around the city of Tyre up in Phoenicia, which by the way is modern day Lebanon where Jesus has just released a, girl, a little girl from her demon and then he takes the disciples farther north into the city of Sidon before then veering down into the Decapolis region. It's called the Decapolis because there are ten major cities there on the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, most of us Don't stay up late at night studying the geography of the Middle East during Jesus' day, do we? I mean, I don't do that. Do you? And so let me try to explain this. You can see on the screen... The movement of Jesus here. Jesus goes 20 miles north from Tyre up to Sidon just to go another 80 to 100 miles southeast to the Decapolis all the way down to the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a trip during which your Google Maps app would constantly be recalculating. Jesus' route here makes no sense to us. We're a society, a society, that's always about the shortest route, because we're always in a hurry. But what if Jesus isn't? What if Jesus chooses the long route to the Decapolis intentionally and purposefully? Because Bible scholars believe that this trip takes approximately six months. Six months of Jesus providing some downtime for his disciples. Six months of Jesus getting away from the crowds and prepping his disciples. He's ramping up their training because his death is coming. So while it may look to us like Jesus doesn't know what he's doing or where he's going... Each route he chooses for us is intentional and purposeful and therefore meaningful. Even those routes we would refer to as detours. We've all been there at one time or another, haven't we? When God seemed to take us on a detour, maybe it was a divorce or a miscarriage or the loss of a child or a spouse. Maybe for you it was a broken engagement or a significant career or financial setback. Or maybe it's that right now you are in a season of waiting. You're in a holding pattern. It feels feels like whatever God is doing, wherever he is leading, he's taking the long way around. Listen, these are important days for these disciples, even though nothing big seems to be happening. Because, as far as we know, Jesus does no miracles during these days. No miracles in Sidon. No miracles on the way, the long route to the Decapolis. There's no feeding big crowds with with a few pieces of bread and a few fish. There's no walking on the water. There's no healing. Just normal, everyday stuff with his disciples. But listen, listen carefully, please. Those are the days in which God grows us most because those are most of our days. Days in which nothing remarkable seems to be happening. These are ordinary days, everyday kind of days where nothing significant seems to be going on. While God is leading us along the long. Way around. So remember, in those days, Psalm 37, verse 23, a man's steps are established by the Lord, and he takes pleasure in his way, in our way. So God, right now, has you where he wants you to teach you what you can only learn where you are. Don't be discouraged. Don't get impatient. Don't miss what God has for you to learn right now and the growth steps he wants you to take right where you are. He's doing all things well. His plans are perfect and his timing is precise. Because when Jesus arrives in the Decapolis, he arrives at just the right time to meet a deaf man with a speech impediment. Now, I want you to notice carefully in the text that this man isn't hanging around waiting for Jesus to arrive. He couldn't hear that Jesus was near. He couldn't voice his need to Jesus. He needs friends who will be his ears and his tongue and bring him to Jesus and request of Jesus that Jesus do something about his condition. And that's precisely what these people do. These are Gentile people who had heard what the Jewish Messiah could do. Now, anytime we see something like this playing out in the text of God's Word, we should ask ourselves a question like in this text, where did these people hear about Jesus? How did they know living on the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus has spent very, very little time, how would they ever have heard That Jesus can heal. Well, do you remember what happened back in Mark chapter 5? In this very region? Do you remember the demon-possessed man? Remember the man possessed by a legion of demons who is hanging out in the graveyard? He is cutting himself. He's terrorizing people. And Jesus frees him and then sends the demons into the pigs. And then the man wants to come with Jesus. Remember that? And Jesus surprises us. His plans don't always fit with our plans. Jesus doesn't always do what we think he should do. Because Jesus says to the man he is just freed from demons, he says, don't follow me. Don't come with me. And then he says, go home to your friends. And tell them what I've done for you. And the Bible says back in Mark chapter 5 that that man did. He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So it's a formerly demon-possessed man who spreads the word about Jesus. So that nearly a year later when Jesus comes back to the region, people there have heard about him. Jesus does all things well, even when his plans make no sense to us. And secondly, even when his methods make no sense to us. Because if you're anything like we are at our house, and you purchase hand sanitizer by the gallon at both Costco and Sam's Club, then what Jesus is about to do here is, will make you a bit squeamish. Here's Jesus. This deaf man is now standing before him, and we might think to ourselves, you know, this is a great opportunity for Jesus. He can really grab the people's attention here in this Gentile region. I mean, he can play this up big time because here's a guy who's been marginalized and stigmatized and probably even demonized his entire life, and Jesus can change all of that instantly. I mean, he can really wow the crowd here with his power. He could really put on a show. But no, that's not what Jesus will do. Because that's not what Jesus came to do. He's not a showman. He's not a magician. He's the son of God. He came to show us what God is like. That he's a kind and compassionate God who delights in showing mercy. And so Jesus is not going to make a spectacle of this man. Because this man is not a problem to be solved. He's a person to be loved. He's a man made by God and for God in the image of God. And so Jesus is going to guard this man's dignity. He's going to take him aside to protect him from the gawking eyes of the thrill seekers in the crowd. It's just the disciples who are going to see Jesus come close to this man and get down on his level. Jesus is not looking down on this man like others had throughout his life. He's standing face to face with this man, locking eyes with him, communicating compassion and kindness to him in a way that a deaf, mute man could understand. Jesus is entering into his silent world. He's speaking a language that this man could understand. It's all nonverbal communication. It's the language of touch and sight. And so Jesus reaches up and puts his fingers into this man's ears and then spits into his hand and touches this man's tongue. Now I know this is where we germaphobes about lose it. We recoil at that, especially after COVID. But it's Jesus doing something personal. It's Jesus demonstrating to this man that he's entering into his world. He's going to make the power of God himself personal, the mercy of God excuse me, of God himself personal. And that's why Jesus, in the middle of this scene, looks up from this man into heaven, letting this man know that that it's the power of God that's about to invade this man's ears and this man's tongue and and is going to change this man's life forever. And then notice here that Jesus lets out a sigh. Now, this isn't just a little sigh, you know, like... This is the kind of sigh you can see. This is a deep sigh. Now, Joanna would tell you that I am a sigher. By the way, that is a word. I googled it this week. I sigh all the time. She's like, what are you sighing about? I have no idea what I'm sighing about. It's just what I do. I'm a sire, Okay. I sigh when I roll out of bed in the morning and my back is sore. I sigh when I pop open the container of floss and there's just two inches left. I sigh when I crawl into bed at the end of a long day because I'm worn out. I sigh out of frustration or confusion or exhaustion. But Jesus sighs out of compassion. And that's why. Mark uses the very same Greek word of Jesus here, sighing, as the Apostle John uses in John 11 when Jesus is standing with Mary and Martha at the tomb of their brother Lazarus, who's dead. And Jesus sighs. Jesus does not withdraw from us In a world of suffering. He comes close to us. In our pain. In our struggle. He comes close to this man in his brokenness. Jesus feels it by entering into it. So that he can undo it. And Jesus will do the same for you. He will open the eyes and the ears of your heart. He will enable you to see him and to hear him and to cry out to him in faith. If Jesus can give this man new ears and a new tongue, then Jesus can give you a new heart and a new life. If he can reverse the deafness and the muteness holding this man hostage, then he can release you from the sins that hold you hostage. Because Jesus entered into the brokenness of our sin on the cross. The unbroken one is broken for us. The sinless one enters into our situation and dies on our behalf for our sins as though he himself had committed every one of them. I want you to think right now, the worst sins you've committed may be even ones that nobody else knows about. He knows. Because he was treated as though he had committed those sins. He has felt The wrath of a holy God against those sins. He cries out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because of those sins. He enters in. It's what Isaiah 53 verse 5 says. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his stripes we are healed. There's only one way to get that healing that that overthrows and overcomes our sin and gives us a new heart and a new life like this man gets new ears and a new tongue. There's only one way and it's what Jesus says to Martha at the tomb of her brother Lazarus when he says to her this, there's only one way to have eternal life. I am the resurrection and the life Jesus says whoever believes in me though he die yet shall he live and everyone who believes in who lives and believes in me shall never die forever instead he will live forever and then Jesus looks at Martha and says do you believe this do you believe and so i ask you this morning The same question Jesus asks her. Do you believe? Do you believe on Jesus? Have you repented of your sins? Do you believe he was crushed for your iniquities? That he entered in so deeply to our world and our life and even our sin. That the sinless one tastes and feels and absorbs The wrath and punishment of a holy God against our sins on the cross. Have you believed in Jesus? Repenting of your sins and embracing him by grace alone, through faith alone, in him alone. You can do that right now where you are. And in that moment, Jesus will do for you what he's done for this deaf man. Because with this deaf man, Jesus is showing us that he can restore what's broken. He can take what's old and make it new. And that's what happens when Jesus looks up into heaven and says to this deaf man, "Ephtha," which is Aramaic, it's an Aramaic word that means be opened, be unchained, be loosened, be free. And immediately his ears are new and his tongue is too. Instantly he hears perfectly and instantly he speaks plainly. Without any coaching, without any speech therapy. Have you ever seen the human interest stories on television on deaf people who've received cochlear implants? And if you have, then you know that a person who's been deaf, when they can suddenly hear again, they still struggle with speaking. But not this man. Not on this day. Not with this Jesus. Because this isn't just an ear-opening miracle or a tongue-untying miracle. This is a brain-rewiring miracle. Jesus instantly installs new wiring between this man's brain and his ears and his tongue. You see, Jesus never does anything partially. He does everything perfectly and completely. He does all things well. Even when his methods make no sense to us and his plans make no sense to us. And thirdly, even when his commands make no sense to us. Because when this man returns to his friends and tells them plainly what Jesus has done for him, they are all astonished beyond measure, the text says. The Greek word here actually means that they are super blown away. They see their friend hearing, they hear him speaking, And they're so blown away that they can't stop talking about it. Even though Jesus is saying, just keep this on the down low. Shh, don't tell anybody. Now, this is not Jesus being like us parents often are trying to use reverse psychology on our children. When Jesus really wants them to keep talking about it. And so he says, don't say anything knowing that they're going to do the opposite. No, Jesus says, shh. But the more Jesus says, shh, the more they talk, the more they proclaim, the more they exclaim. So why would Jesus shush them? It's because Jesus doesn't want to be known as Miracle Man or as the greatest showman. Jesus' miracles aren't the main point of his ministry. They are pointers to his identity as the Son of God. And as the Son of God, his mission isn't just to make broken ears and tongues work again, it's to lay down his life and then rise again. But these people don't get that. And so they can't stop telling everyone about the one who does all things well. Do you see the disconnect there between what they're saying and what they're doing? Because with their actions, they are actually denying the truth, they're proclaiming. If Jesus does all things well, then that's not only true of his miracles, it's true of his commands, even the commands we don't understand. So is there a disconnect in our life where we'll sing what we've sung this morning, amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see Jesus does all things well. But then with our lives and our actions, we're saying something different. Are there commands in God's word that you've been disregarding or disobeying because, because those commands just don't make sense to you? Like Jesus here saying, be quiet when When the whole world needs to hear about Jesus. Young people, maybe for you it's all about honoring and respecting and obeying your parents. Because let's be honest, your parents aren't always right. And I say that with one of our daughters in the service this morning. Sometimes your parents misunderstand you. Sometimes your parents are impatient with you. But listen, God knows all of that about your parents when he says in Ephesians 6 verse 1, children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. So don't fudge on that, young people, even when it doesn't make sense to you. Just like when it comes to us giving money to God. We think, listen, God owns everything. It's all his He doesn't need my money. And that is true. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world belongs to Him. He owns it. And those who dwell therein. God doesn't need my money. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need our money. God will do just fine without it. You see, we don't give... To make God wealthy, we give to get a blessing from him. The Bible says it really is more blessed to give than to receive. Do we believe God is telling the truth when he says that? Because he set up the universe to work like that? You see, the ultimate blessing is in giving. And if we're holding back on giving to God, we're forfeiting a blessing. And so I say to all of us this morning let's give joyfully, let's give sacrificially, even when it doesn't make sense to us. Just like God's command, God's command to point people to Jesus. I mean, think about it this way. If, if salvation is all God's work, and it is from beginning to end, it's all of his grace, well, let's just admit this morning that God doesn't need us to tell people about him. If he can open deaf ears and loosen locked tongues, he can certainly open hard hearts without us. And that's true. But it's also true that in God's perfect plan, he has chosen to get his message out to people through us. Just like this deaf man's friends, we are the ears and the tongues for the people who don't know him and haven't heard of him. It's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal to a lost world through us. If Jesus does all things well, and he does, and that's a message the world needs to hear from us. So even when we don't understand why God would use us to bring people to him, let's obey Because even when his plans and his methods and his commands don't make sense to us, there's something that does. Jesus does all things well. And so, as we conclude this morning, there are two powerfully practical truths for us to take from this text and apply to our lives. As believers in Jesus, number one brokenness is not our identity. Brokenness is not our identity. When you come to Jesus, you aren't now who you once were. Like this once deaf man, you are no longer defined by your brokenness. You are now a child of grace. You're a child of freedom because you're a child of God. That's your identity now. And so like this man... The grace and power of Jesus releases you from sin's hold on you. You are free. Even from those persistent sins you still struggle against. What is it for you? Is it unforgiveness towards someone who's hurt you? Is it gluttony? You drown your sorrows in alcohol or prescription meds or in an entire bag of Fritos. Is it anger or envy or greed or gossip? Whatever those persistent sins are for you, I plead with you to stop giving yourself to them because they don't define you. The one who does all things well has released you from their power. His grace is sufficient for you. Brokenness is not your identity. And secondly, brokenness is not your destiny. Listen, we come to our Lord's table this morning not just to look back in thanks at what Jesus has done, but to look forward in hope to what Jesus will do. The one who gives new ears and a new tongue to this man is the one who will make good on his promise to make all things new when he comes again. So the political frustrations, excuse me, the political situations that frustrate you The family and work difficulties that discourage you, the diseases that scare you, the death that awaits you, Jesus will have the final say with all of it. And there's something really cool in this text here that proves it. Because if you look at verse 32, the word that is translated, the Greek word that's translated speech impediment This is the only time in the entire New Testament that this Greek word is used. And when that happens, it ought to catch our attention. The only other place it is ever used is in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It's what we call the Septuagint. And Isaiah uses this word... The same word that Mark uses right here in Mark chapter 7. Isaiah uses this word in Isaiah 35. Listen to this. Where God says, Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not behold your God will come with vengeance with the recompense of God he will come and save you and then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped then shall the lame man leap like a deer and here it is and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy and when Jesus comes the first time and loosens the tongue and opens the ears of this man we are given a glimpse of what's coming jesus is coming again for us so be strong fear not behold your god Brokenness is not your destiny. Jesus is. He will forever fix up what's messed up. So whatever we're facing today or whatever comes tomorrow, we can say it is well. Because Jesus does all things well. Amen. Father, may you convince us The truth of what we've just learned from your word. May you show us the glory and the grace of your Son Jesus. May you open our ears and loosen our tongues to praise the one who has done all things well. And for those in, our, in this room this morning who haven't trusted in Jesus, may you open their hearts and open their ears and loosen their tongues because you promise in Romans chapter 10 that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So everyone in this room who will confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, they will be saved. That's your word. So I pray that you would be pleased to save individuals right now in this room. May they turn to you in saving faith. And for believers in Jesus, remind us that the work you've begun in us, the work of grace, you will complete. You do all things well, even when we don't understand your plans or your methods or your commands. May we trust you.